Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. In the previous lessons, we explained that there are four very crucial ingredients for gratitude to be authentic. Number one, the focus has to be not on yourself. The I has to be diminished. We say, I thank you. The focus should be on the word thank and you rather than the I. Because the whole idea of gratitude is recognizing that there is another. It's not all about us. The second important ingredient in gratitude is that it has to be directed to someone. If a person, let's say, says, I am grateful that I can see. I can open my eyes and see. That's not really gratitude. It has to be directed. I am grateful to God for giving me the power to see. If the doctor treats me and I feel better, you don't just say, I am thankful that I am healed. You say, I am thankful to the doctor who has healed me, or thankful to God who has given the doctor the ability to heal, and so on and so forth. Because if it's all about just being thankful, the focus is still on yourself. The third ingredient is that you have to be specific, that it's not enough to be grateful generically. I am grateful for everything I have. That's certainly important and proper to begin with that, but then you should also be specific. I am grateful for my good health. I'm grateful for my sustenance. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for my spouse. I'm grateful for whatever it is. You are grateful for everything specifically, which really makes this gratitude much more authentic. And then we get to the fourth ingredient, and that is that gratitude has to grow. You cannot just be grateful and then leave it at that, and then with the passage of time, the gratitude becomes weaker and weaker. You forget about, no, the gratitude has to grow. And the way it grows is when you are not grateful in a manner of quid pro quo. That was what we discussed in the last class, that Basic gratitude is quid pro quo. You did this for me, I will do this in return for you. I'll reciprocate in kind. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that type of gratitude will not grow. The gratitude that grows is a gratitude that's associated with life itself. In our daily prayers, we say, All those who are alive will thank you forever. So it associates gratitude with life. And just like life is a dynamic force, it's not something that stays in one place. If it does, then it's not really life. So too, gratitude has to be a continuing and growing phenomenon. Now, we also explained that the word chayim is a plural word. And the Rebbe once explained that the reason why chayim, life, is plural is because life is only valid as true life when it is with another, when it's shared with another, when it's for another, it's with another, when it's based on your focus on another. If life is just for yourself and there's nothing else, no one else involved, then that's not really called life. Chaim, life is plural. And therefore, gratitude and life go together. Because life is what you live with and for others, 
And gratitude is where you acknowledge the other. Well, if life is about others, then we're talking about relationships. In a relationship, it's not quid pro quo, because if it's quid pro quo, it's what you gave me, I'll give you in return, then that's a very shallow type of relationship. It's a beginning, it starts that way perhaps, but it has to grow into a relationship in which there is a possibility for growing from one level to another. And that's where we'll begin discussing the four levels, the four dimensions of gratitude. And we'll focus today on the first dimension. The reason why we're talking about four dimensions is that one of the great Talmudic commentators known as the Marsha, Rabbi Shlomo Edels, Shmuel Edels, who lived in the 16th century, who explains that the four categories of people who have to express gratitude, which the Talmud enumerates, and that's they're hinted in the word Chayim, as we discussed in the last lesson, are the person who is uh, saved from serious illness, someone who is freed from prison, someone who traverses the sea, and someone who traverses the desert and comes out alive. They have to show special gratitude, special prayer, and in the days of the temple, they would bring a special thanksgiving offering. And these four, we explained, represent four different deficiencies that are corrected in a relationship. The ideal relationship is marriage, so we'll use that as our example. And they are, as we discussed last lesson, they are a marriage that is sick, lethargic, no, no life, no enthusiasm, um, a prison type of relationship where one spouse or whatever relationship it is, one side controls the other. And then you have the sea, the turbulent sea relationship, a turbulent relationship, and the desert, which is a place where there's no life and there's only hostile forces, snakes and scorpions, an abusive and hostile relationship. When you have those four deficiencies, then that's not really called a relationship, and therefore there's, there can be no gratitude. The relationship has to be one in which we get out of those four, and then in that case, there will be a good relationship. So let's pick up where we left off. The Marsha explains that these four categories represent and correspond to the four cups of wine that we drink at the Seder. We know at the Seder night, we drink wine four times, four cups. Why four cups? On Shabbat, we drink one cup of wine. Well, the other holidays, one cup of wine. Drinking more is optional. But here, we drink four cups. So he explains that they correspond to the four different situations the Jews escaped from when they left Egypt. Number one, the Jews were afflicted. They were tortured. That's illness. And they were freed from that. Number two, they were in a prison. They couldn't leave wherever they were headquartered. They couldn't get out of their place of residence, and they certainly couldn't leave Egypt. Number three, after they left Egypt, they were still not free because the Egyptians could always pursue them. When they crossed the sea, they traversed the sea, that's when they were totally freed from the Egyptians. But as long as they didn't come to the promised land, they were still in the desert they were still not totally free, one could say, until they got to the promised land, and therefore 
the Jewish people have to show gratitude, and we still show gratitude for having let us survive through the 40 years of our trek in the desert. So that is a beautiful explanation of the four cups of wine. We're celebrating these four different deliverances that we experience at the time of the Exodus. So how does that apply to gratitude? Because it then seems that these four situations, the person who recovers from illness, the person who's freed from prison, the person who travels through the sea, the person who travels through the desert, that these four forms of illness correspond to freedom. In a very general way, the, the common denominator is that there is freedom. Gratitude is therefore synonymous with freedom. But what are you freeing yourself from? You're freeing yourself from your self-imposed existence. You are just in a cocoon. A person who has no gratitude is in a cocoon and has no connection to the outside. So you're in a prison, self-imposed prison, but it's still a prison. Gratitude is what liberates us from prison. And the degree of liberation is commensurate with the level of gratitude. So we're going to talk about four levels of gratitude. The first level of gratitude gets you out of prison. It frees you. It liberates you. But you're still, relatively speaking, in another prison. You're just, let's say, the Jews who are in in, in a prison in the Soviet Union, but then they were freed from prison, but they still couldn't leave the Soviet Union. So they were still not totally free. They're still in a larger prison. So we can go from one prison to another prison, experiencing freedom on one level, but still not having the total freedom. So there are four different levels of freedom that correspond to the four different dimensions of gratitude. The two go together. Another important point to reinforce the idea of the four levels we're told that these four, the Kabbalists tell us that these four different levels of gratitude correspond to the four letters of God's name. You see, everything in this world comes through God's energy and God's forces. But God manifests himself and channels his energy through these four letters of his name. The name that has a yud in it, the letter he is followed by the letter vav, and then the letter hey again. These four letters correspond, we're taught, to four different worlds, four different dimensions of consciousness. And it's interesting that the word for gratitude, the first person who's named gratitude, Yehuda, Yehuda has all those four letters. So that tells us again, that reinforces the idea that there are four levels of gratitude. So that's what we're going to discuss now, beginning with the first level, the lowest level. The four letters of God's name correspond to the four spiritual worlds. We have our physical world, but above this physical world, there are four spiritual dimensions. They're not different places. They're not subject to time and space. These are four dimensions, four levels of consciousness. We'll go up from the top down to the bottom. The highest level the first level that God emanated from himself is called the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation. That's a world in which God's light is powerful and absolute. There's nothing else but that light. Then we get to the next world, the world of Bria, the world of creation. Then we get to the next world, the world of Yitzira, the world of formation. 
It's not just a creation, an amorphous creation. There's form to it. And then we get to the lowest of the spiritual worlds called the world of Asiyah, the world of action or the world of completion. This is the spiritual world that is the closest to our physical consciousness. And in order for us to fulfill our mission in this world, we have to try to take the consciousness from these spiritual dimensions and introduce it into our mind, into our conscious reality. And there are four different levels, and we can grow from one level to another. There are some souls who are already at the top, and they come from the world of Atzilut. Those are very spiritual and holy people like the patriarchs, like Moses, and so on. And then there are people who come from one of the three lower worlds. But we all have to try to emulate all of these four levels. And we'll start with the first level, the world of Asiya, the world of action. This is the world in which the consciousness is, I am here. We exist. And our existence is a given. That's our consciousness. And in this world, there can be in this level, this very low level of consciousness, one could be at a point where they don't have any gratitude. They don't recognize then as anything outside of them. And that we, we would call a narcissist, someone who's totally self-absorbed, someone whose focus is himself. Yes, sometimes even a narcissist will do good things for others for whatever reason. We're not going to go into the psychology behind narcissism. But the narcissistic mentality, which we all have, we start off with that. A baby is focused totally on itself. It doesn't care about the feelings of others. It cries when it feels like crying. It soils its diaper whenever it feels like it. That is the mentality, the default position of every human being, virtually every human being. There are some exceptions, people who are born with a very high consciousness, but that's very rare. So the average person has this self-absorption, this narcissistic self-absorption, but because you are receiving from this spiritual dimension, there is the ability to recognize, to acknowledge that there's another. Now, that's the translation of Gratitude, the Hebrew word moda, modani, I give thanks, has four different translations. And these four levels that we're going to be discussing correspond to those four translations. The first translation of moda, which is gratitude, is acknowledgement. I am just about myself. That's all I care about. Everything revolves around me, but I acknowledge that there is something outside of me. I acknowledge that there are other entities, but I see them only as an extension of myself. I care about myself because I'm a narcissist, but the, even a narcissist will do good things for others because they recognize it'll come back to help them. So it's still about themselves, but at least there's a recognition, an acknowledgement of the other. There's a expression in Ethics of the Fathers, if we wouldn't have the fear of government, one person would swallow the other alive. What does that mean? The Rebbe once explained, it doesn't mean literally that a person who is steeped in Torah has to be told, because Ethics of the Fathers is not about basic human morality, it's about living a higher level of life. We're talking about a person who does good things for others, is a good person, 
but he swallows the other alive. The other person is just seen as a satellite of oneself, an extension of oneself, and everything I do for the other is to reinforce my own existence, to expand my own existence. But nevertheless, in order to do that, I have to recognize the other. See, even the people of Sodom, they were the most cruel people, sadistic people who didn't tolerate any outsiders intruding into their turf. They were just totally self-absorbed. If you have to find another word for narcissist from an earlier period in history, it would be sodomite mentality. The sodomites were cruel, not because they wanted to be cruel, but because they were only about themselves. And anyone who trespassed in their turf diminished part of their existence, and therefore they had to put the person in their place by doing whatever it took to make sure the person would know that they are not welcome in the most gruesome of ways. The Midrash tells us there was a bed they had in their Sodom Hilton, and the bed would accommodate everyone. If the bed was six feet long and you were six foot three, they would cut you down to size. If you were five foot eight, they would stretch you out to fit the bed. That's a metaphor. Perhaps they did that literally, but it's also a metaphor that you accept the only the other person only to the extent they fit into your bed, that they are going to enhance your own existence. That's what it means that if not for the fear of government, people would swallow each other alive. That means even a narcissist will sometimes do something for another if they have the fear of government, the heavenly government, if they have a recognition that God wants them to help others. So they say, you know what? I'm all about myself. I only care about myself, but I have no choice. I have to follow God's command, and God wants me to help others. I'll do it, but my heart is not in it. Now, that's a form of gratitude that is on a very low level, but we shouldn't knock it. Because when a person is so self-absorbed and for whatever explanation they give themselves, for whatever justification they offer why they're doing good, it takes a lot of sacrifice for the narcissist to think about the other. It's a a quantum leap from being totally self-absorbed to recognizing that there is another. Now, if we're talking about the letters of God's name, the last letter, which is the lowest level, is the hey, the letter hey. The letter hey has a unusual form. It has an anomaly. It's very similar to the letter chet or ches. The letter ches has a horizontal line on the top, a vertical line on the right side, and a vertical line on the left side, and both of these lines touch the top. That means the ches means you're in a state where everything is going down. The energy is flowing downward. And your whole being is down. You're, you have no enlightenment. You have no spiritual feelings. You're a very low person. And the, the, let, the word ches, even the translation of the word, indicates the idea of going down. It's a down situation. The hay is almost identical to the ches, they're, they're very similar in many ways in the way that we pronounce them and also the way the hay is written. It also has a horizontal line on the top and a vertical line on the right side and a vertical line on the left side, but there's a little space between the left vertical side and the roof. What does that tell you? That yes, you're a down person. You're a person who's focused on oneself. 
You can't look higher than yourself. You can't look out of yourself. But there's a little hole there. There's a little escape valve where you could recognize and acknowledge there's something out of yourself. That is the hey of God's name. That means God gives even people who are on a very low level the ability to find justification for going out of themselves. So they have a little bit of the concept of Chaim. They could still thank you because they got out of the desert. Why the desert? Because the desert is a place of death. There's no life in the desert. Not only there's no life in the desert, the desert is a threatening place. The Talmud tells of a situation in Jewish law where two people are traveling in the desert and one of them has a little jar of water. It's enough for one person to survive. If they split it, both of them will die. So what are you supposed to do? You have the water. Should you split it and let both die? So that Rabbi Akiva, the great sage Rabbi Akiva says, Chayecha Kodma, your life takes precedence and you're allowed to drink that water. It's a horrible situation. But that is what Rabbi Akiva said. What does that tell us in the spiritual vein? That when you're in the desert mode, there is no life. It's The focus is only on your survival. That's all you care about. And if your survival re- means withholding something from the other, so be it. But sometimes your survival depends on acknowledging the other. And that, too, is a form of freedom, that you're out of the desert, you're out of the situation where your only focus is yourself. And we cannot really knock that. So the focus of this person, the world of asiya, asiya means action, is really not feelings, because your feelings are not very warm about the other person. You have no feeling. You don't recognize the other person's autonomy. You only recognize the other person for your own needs. But at least... You're doing things to help the other. There's a famous uh, dilemma, the question in, in, in ethics. What is better for you to love someone and have warmth and love and affection for someone and you show your love and affection, but you don't really do anything to help them? But people like to have people who love them. Or is it someone who helps you but doesn't have any love and affection? Well, whatever the answer to that question is, there's no question that one is, is better than nothing. Even if you have just doing good for others, regardless of what the motivation is, that is a sign that you have that little escape valve. You have that little space at the top that allows you to look outside of yourself, that allows you to recognize and acknowledge, if only acknowledging nothing more that the other one exists. Not an autonomous existence, but an existence to serve your own needs. But to get to have that power, imagine this. If you're a, a, in a prison and you can find a way of getting out of that prison, even though you have to crawl through some crawl space, it's also an incredible feat. The fact that we have the power, that no matter how narcissistic we are, no matter how low we are in the hierarchy of spiritual worlds, and we have almost no spiritual consciousness, the fact that we could break out of that mold in some way is a quantum leap. You know, when you're on a high level of spirituality and you get to another level, that's a incremental leap. But when you're at the bottom 
and you can you're in the abyss and you can lift yourself off even slightly that requires so much more power the person who was totally depressed you know we have the various negative traits that are listed in the tanya and uh, the, the first trait is person who is ang- gets angry a person is very arrogant the second one is the person who's a hedonist indulges in all sorts of pleasures the third one is the person who is just a vacuous person a person who's just idle and frivolous no substance those are all negative traits the last category which means in a certain way it's the worst is the person who is lazy and depressed which means a person who has no life the desert person that desert person is the hardest for them to grow to a higher level because they're in the ground they're in, they're dead and if they are dead then it's the greatest miracle that they can get off the ground even slightly to get from the bottom to the next level is the most difficult and that is the power that one has to get from a higher source and we'll discuss this when we talk about the fourth level that to get to the first level and to even have the first level type of freedom you require power that comes from the highest level but that will be discussed in another talk thanks for listening to the rabbi greenberg show 